Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Fire You Can't Put Out. My name is Melvin, episode number 320, and I want to thank you so much for being here. So let me start with a question where many of you in the audience will just say, yes, yes, I know, yes, I remember, yes, yes, yes. Anybody that says yes is joshing. There's no way you don't remember this. How many of you remember Benghazi? Oh my goodness, I can, I can hear the air breaking as your hand shoots through the air. I, I'm not even there with you now. This show hasn't even been released as of this recording. I can hear your hands going up everywhere, yes. The reason Benghazi is in our lexicon was because of the conservative movement in America. You say, well, Melvin, the conservative movement in America is just trying to wake us all up. Trying to let us know when the terrible, terrible things are happening, Melvin. You could say that. I mean, it was a tragedy. The thing that happened, Benghazi, one of our consulates was attacked. Of course, this happened a dozen times when Bush was president, but we never heard about it. But it happened when Obama was president. And my God, the crime of the century, the worst thing to ever happen to Americans course we forgot about 9-11 3,000 dead people in a day is just another day in America because Bush was president but four people died in Benghazi and my god now think about if you lost four people like imagine they're all from one family you lost four people from your life really any four people whether they're a, a family member a co-worker some sort of loose associate, I suppose. Pretty devastating, right? So, it's not as though these four lives aren't important. I mean, every, every, every person is. Every life is. Everybody means something to somebody. Everyone means everything to at least one person. Everybody has somebody who loves them deeply. Think about it. Everybody was so upset about Benghazi, right? Fast forward to now. And I remember seeing back then. I know I just said fast forward, but I remember seeing back then. I go on people's Facebook pages and they'd have, you know, their the profile pictures of the people that died and they made it their banner and they, they showed the pictures and they, they told stories and they shared family photos of these four people that died. And my God, if only President Obama and Secretary Clinton, oh my God, if only they had. <gasps> we could have saved these four American lives, my God. And it's not, it's not that it's a joke. I mean, they were bent inside, upside down and inside. This was, this was regular Fox programming. For 23 hours a day. And then for, you know, an hour a day, they would say, you know, they we're going to talk about Benghazi in an hour. Like, it was just all goddamn day. And then we got a new president. And then we got President Trump. Legitimate or not, we got President Trump. Benghazi's not a problem anymore. And the Benghazi thing started back before uh, President Obama's second term. They were hoping it would stop him from getting a second term. Failing at that, they were hoping it would stop Secretary Clinton from getting a first term. I don't think it did. 
I think something else stopped Secretary Clinton from getting her her first term. And the terms she she will she will never see now. Now, now fast forward. We have a hundred and eighty thousand dead Americans in four months. And they can't all be attributed to President Trump's response. Let's be fair. They can't all, but a lot of them can. 70, 80, 90%, a whole lot of them can. Because when ignorance reigns, life is lost. Now, even Canada lost 9,000 people. But Canada's lost 9,000 people since March. And we've lost 180,000. But Melvin, we're a larger population. It's true. But see... Up north, they got a guy that believes in science. Didn't call it a hoax. Didn't try to create a lot of confusion around it. A guy who listened to his scientists. And so, I say to the pro-life movement, and I would love to talk to one of you effing schmucks. I say to the pro-life movement, you were so goddamn inside out about Benghazi. And it was four people. This is 180,000. It will be 200,000 as of next month. It'll be a quarter million a month before the election. That's my prediction. A quarter million dead Americans before the election. The month of the election, we might even hit 300,000. And I know there are conservatives out there that are still mourning those four dead Americans in Benghazi. Without a second thought about the 180,000 people who have died from our lack of, and that's what it is, our lack of response to the coronavirus, and millions more who did not die, but at some point will probably wish that they did. There was an article that came out recently where a bunch of hospital workers were interviewed, and obviously once you get the coronavirus, you don't get to see your family anymore. You can see them through Zoom. You can do a FaceTime call. You don't get to see your family anymore. They don't get to come in the room with you. And so the only people that really talk face-to-face with your ailing and dying relatives and friends are the healthcare workers. And the healthcare workers, they're starting to say, I can't tell you how many times Somebody will be laying there in the bed, you know, and they're, and they're sick with the coronavirus. And they're, you know, the odds are they're going to be dead in a week or two weeks or maybe longer. I mean, who knows? There's, there's no one straight path that the coronavirus takes. And it's not, it doesn't hit exactly the same with every single person. And they say, I can't tell you how many people have said to me, I listened to the president and I thought he was joking. I, th- I thought that when he said it was a joke, I believed him. When he said it wasn't serious, I believed him. When he said it was little more than the flu, I believed him. When he called it a Democrat hoax to simply stifle his reelection, I believed him. And here I am laying in a hospital bed and I'm going to die. Because I didn't do something as simple as stay home 
or wash my hands or wear a mask. And even if you're not the person that gets sick or dies, I think if you walk around in public, you can call me extreme, I don't care. I think if you walk around in public without a mask or worse, you walk around with your nose hanging out, you should be charged with attempted murder. Attempted first degree murder. Because that's how it's, that's how it's spreading. It's generally spreading by asymptomatic people. It's not sick people going around sick people. It's people that they that don't know they have it and then they're spreading it. I'm getting a coronavirus test about every two weeks. I'm getting one immediately after I do an event. After I DJ an event. Immediately. And I quarantine myself for two weeks afterwards. Immediately. Don't go around anybody. Because I'm so afraid if I, if I get it and I'm asymptomatic and I get somebody sick, I could kill somebody. And this is the way we should all be thinking. So the pro-life folks, the four deaths in Benghazi, a gigantic deal. The 3,000 people who died in 9-11, a gigantic deal, but not so gigantic that we shouldn't re-elect the president that looked, that looked the other way when it happened. And then there's this. The headline... From the New York Times, border officials weighed deploying migrant heat ray ahead of midterms. The subheadline, even as the Republican convention, which is going on right now, tries to soften President Trump's image, he has made it clear that the extreme immigration policies of his first four years will be central to his re-election pitch. Quoting here, 15 days before the 2018 midterm elections as President Trump sought to motivate Republicans with dark warnings about caravans heading to the U.S. border, he gathered his Homeland Security Secretary and White House staff to deliver a message. Extreme action was needed to stop the migrants. That afternoon, at a separate meeting, with his top leaders of the Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection officials, he suggested deploying a microwave weapon, which, yes, just like the kind that cooks your food. He wanted to deploy a heat ray. See, the military developed a heat ray to make people's skin feel like it's burning when they get within range of its invisible beams. It was developed by the military as a crowd dispersal tool about two decades ago. The active denial system has been largely abandoned amid doubts over its effectiveness and, of course, its morality. Quoting here, Two former officials who attended the afternoon meeting at the Depart Department of Homeland Security on October 22, 2018, said the suggestion that the device be installed at the border shocked the attendees. Even if it would have satisfied the president... Kirsten Nielsen, then the Secretary of Homeland Security, told an aide after the meeting that she would not authorize the use of such a device and it should never be brought up again in her presence. Alexi Wolternist, a spokesperson for the department, said Wednesday it was never really considered. It is not known whether Mr. Trump knew of the microwave weapon suggestion, but the discussion in that fall of 2018 underscored how Mr. Trump's obsession with shutting down immigration has driven policy considerations, including his other suggestions, such as installing flesh-piercing spikes on the border wall, 
building a moat filled with snakes and alligators, and even shooting migrants in the legs. Ladies and gentlemen, I just wanted to go over this one more time. The President of the United States wanted to put a heat ray at the border to microwave the flesh of migrants who got too close to the border. Okay, now I want the audience to just sort of move out of the way for just a minute. I'd like to talk to the pro-life people in the back. Hey, pro-life people, the 50 or 60 or whatever number million of you bat-ass crazy wonks are just going to vote for this guy. Okay? Those of you that are so concerned about the babies, you don't want the babies to be killed. You don't like abortion. I'd like to talk to you schmucks. The president of the United States, your guy, the leader of your movement, wanted to barbecue the flesh of living human beings in order to keep them out of the country to make you a bag of flaming racists happy. So to the pro-life movement, I'm going to let you get your shock out of the way and then you can say your penance and then of course you can make the promise that you will never ever vote for this person ever again course make the further argument that he is not a strong man of course make the even further argument that he's not going to kill a bunch of mexicans go ahead but i know better i've been around the conservative pro-life movement my entire life and for a brief period i might have even agreed with you i might have even fallen behind some of your positions but after learning that the president is in flat-out denial about the fact that Vladimir Putin took out bounties on American soldiers to have them killed. So another thing I hear from this movement all the time about how goddamn important the soldiers are, how we deify the soldiers. Of course, we deify them until they speak out against whatever stupid war we're in, and then they're just wrong, and then they're not patriotic anymore. I suppose patriotic means you're not allowed to ask questions. So you don't mind that the president is backing Putin, is working, is actively working with Putin. And this isn't speculation. We know this now. The Senate report on the 2016 election just came out. The Republican Senate report just came out on the 20, about the 2016 election. And it concluded President Trump did then at that time and is right effing now working directly with the Russian government in order to secure his re-election. He did it in 2016. He's doing it right now. What we also know is that he's paying to have our soldiers killed. Hey, Trumpers, you're allowed to leave his side at any time. What we also know, he put children, families, babies in cages. What do we also know? He wanted to barbecue the flesh of people coming into the country. He talked about shooting them in the legs. Hey, y'all should just be leaving his movement in droves right now. I mean, if pro-life is really your movement, but it's not, is it? It isn't really your movement. Your movement isn't really pro-life. 
what your movement is, is pro-white. And it's anti-brown. It's anti-anybody that's not white. And I'll never understand how people get so caught up in this. Why this makes sense to anybody. Let me level with you here. I know I've been being snarky. And I'm sorry. Not sorry. The problem is that we don't have a lot of freedoms. We yell freedom. We print it on t-shirts. Paint it on our, our cars. Stitch it onto hats. Tattoo it onto our flesh. It's a great buzzword. Freedom. Freedom. We say it all the time. Freedom. But what makes you free? If you're hungry, are you free? If you're broke, are you free? If you don't have a job, are you free? If you're not free to live, are you? if you're incarcerated for, say, I don't know, possessing marijuana, are you free? If you don't have access to health care, are you free? If you have access to health care but you can't afford it, are you free? I've said it before and I'll say it again. For me, a progressive, and you, an unnamed conservative out there, you and I really have a lot of the same wants and almost all of the same needs. I need love. I need affection. I need family. I need a quiet space where I can sit down and gather my thoughts, maybe even read a book. I need stimulating conversation. Time to time, I need food. I need medicine. I need close friends. I need hobbies. Things that I love to do. Things that make me feel alive. Things that make me feel like I'm not just a worker bee. I need all those things. My thing is music. I enjoy playing music. I play it as a DJ, a bassist, a drummer, a vocalist. I do it all. Like, that's what I get. And I sit with my family. We play games. We talk. I, I'm a feminist. I know you're probably not. My daughters are brilliant. My wife is brilliant. They're all beautiful. I'm not good enough to be around them. But somehow, by the good graces, here I am with them. I have my health. I have good friends. My wife and I brought over a couple of friends that we've known for a while last weekend. Hung out in the garage. Talked about politics. Talked about soccer. I know that's probably not your thing either. Um, you know, just what's been going on about our, our isolated families. We hadn't seen them since before the pandemic started. It was so good to see them. Stuff like that. Stuff like that makes you feel good. Alive. I imagine those are a lot of the same things you want. Those are a lot of the same things, th same things that you feel. So things that we, that we need and we enjoy really are a lot the same. So, moving on, where is the divide? Well, this is the embarrassing part. I believe that the divide between us, I as a progressive, you as a conservative, 
comes down to not politics, but economics. See, productivity has quadrupled, quadrupled since the 70s. And so the last, what, 40, 50 years, productivity has quadrupled. Okay, people are working more, but has pay quadrupled? No, no pay has not. In some cases, pay has even gone down. Adjusting for inflation, and this is real, adjusting for inflation, the minimum wage should be somewhere in the neighborhood, the minimum wage should be somewhere in the neighborhood of $23 an hour right now. The minimum. But nobody can survive on the minimum wage. So obviously it needs to be higher. So why isn't the minimum wage higher? Hmm? And why haven't wages kept up with productivity? Well, kind of hard to do that and make um, the, head of, the head of Amazon a billionaire. And he needs to be a billionaire. The head of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg. It's hard to make him a billionaire and pay you fair wages. You know, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo. Name your favorite schmuck CEO. See, the reason we don't have all the money is because they have all the money. Oh, Melvin, let's just go take the money. Mm. See, that's not the way it works. When you're poor and you rob somebody, you're a criminal. When you're rich and, you're, and you rob somebody, you're a CEO. See, the rules are different. It doesn't matter what race or gender that CEO is. They're a CEO. They belong to the upper class. They get everything. And you get nothing. And hell, if you're lucky, you, you get some crumbs. So for me, I understand where all the money's going. And the money's going to, to the top. Not to Musk or, or, or to Zuckerberg or the, the, the ball-headed schmuck that runs Amazon. I'm forgetting his name right now. Jeff Bezos. Thank you. And the reason they have all that money is not because they need all that money. But it's because they need all that power. They hold all the power. Money is power. So I've realized that. I've realized that, that Bezos does not need to make a million dollars an hour. He'll never spend it. Not in this lifetime. Not in 30 lifetimes. He'll never spend it. So why does he have it all? Power. I think that's a problem. I think there should be a wealth tax. If he makes a billion dollars, that's fine. Anything beyond that is not. And right now he has hundreds of billions of dollars. And I don't mean to pick on him because he's just one guy, but there's hundreds more just like him. And they have, and, and there's like 300 of them that have more money than everyone else in the entire country, like 300 people. It's a very small number. That's a problem. And they don't have it because they need it. They have it because they've decided not to pay you better. They have it because they've decided not to pay taxes. So when I see crumbling bridge, uh, when I see a crumbling street, uh, when I see a, a crumbling building, when I, see, when I see people out panhandling, when I see people working three and four jobs, which I've done before, and they can't afford to live, I know what's going on. These rich people don't have enough money. And the first thing that Bush did when he became president, a tax cut for the rich. Second thing he did, start a war. Third thing he did, another tax cut, you said it, for the rich. 
And what's the first thing that Trump did as president? A gigantic ass tax cut for, let me finish that sentence for you, the rich. But I mentioned that there's a divide. There's a divide between you and I as a progressive and a conservative. You have been told that it's the brown folk. Hmm? It's the Muslims. It's the Muslims coming into the country. It's them. They're taking from you. It's pretty convenient for them to say that it's them because um, they have brown skin. So they, the rich and the powerful identify the enemy for you. They say it's those who have brown skin. What else do they say? It's the Mexicans. It's the Mexicans coming in from the south. The, they never complain about the north. We got plenty of smart Canadians up north, eh? But they're white. There are also plenty of Europeans who come into the country and take your jobs because they have education. They have a good education system in Europe. They get educated. They come here. India is the same way. Solid education system. Companies need that education. They bring them here. They give them the job that you might have if you had an education. So I see the problem. The rich don't have enough money and they want more of it. They don't want it because they, they need it. They want it because they want the power associated with it. And I recognize that and I think that should change. But when I say that to you, that's anathema because how dare I? How dare I try to take their money that they worked so hard for? Nobody is worth a million dollars an hour. Nobody. Nobody is worth a billion dollars a year. Nobody. And right now, there are a whole lot of people making that kind of money. And not only are they not paying taxes, but they're getting even more money back. And then, did you pay taxes last year? You have to send a check to the government at the end of the year. I always do. And I know where it's going. It's going to go to defense, which is not really defense. Those people are also rich too. Or it's going to go to tax cuts for rich people. That's where, that's where my money goes. I work and that's where my money goes. So even the wages that I do make end up going to rich people. And then for you, you're being told the reason you don't make more money is because of them Mexicans. It's because of them brown folk. It's because of the Negroes. That's why you're not making more money. It's their fault. You and me are really not that different. I as a progressive and you a conservative, we really aren't that different. And I really am more than willing to talk these ideas out with you in an adult conversation. Which means you don't call names, you don't throw punches, and you don't use talking points. You tell me what's in your heart, and I will tell you what's in mine. Trump is a problem, but he is not the problem. But he is a symptom of the problem that you and I have. That there is a divide in America. And the divide is largely between the very, very rich and everybody else. And the ideological divide is between those who are getting schnookered, that's you, honey. And those of us that are not, but are still getting quite hurt by the policies 
that you continue to back in people who don't even care about you. The, the upcoming election is a biggie. It's a biggie for me and it's a biggie for you. It's a biggie for you because you more than likely want to see this neo-Nazi re-elected. It's a biggie for me because I don't like living in a white supremacist regime. I don't like having a strong man as a leader and I don't like watching 200, 300,000 of my fellow Americans die of a preventable death. I also don't like seeing children in cages. I don't like seeing families ripped apart. And I don't like hearing about how the president wants to microwave Mexicans. The presidential election is a big one for me. A really big one. But if it doesn't turn out in my favor, and it turns out in your favor, whether you realize it or not, you too are going to lose. It's only a matter of time. And I'm going to finish up like this. The headline over at the New York Times, Facebook is laying out contingency plans in case Trump attempts to delegitimize the election results. And that would include a kill switch. What would the kill switch be? If he jumps online and decides to start calling out the Klan and the Proud Boys and the QAnon Nazis and he tells them to, I don't know, say start an armed insurrection some sort of an armed civil war with everybody that did not vote for Trump then they just shut off his profile so he can't do that uh, also they would shut off any ads that his campaign would buy Facebook shouldn't have to do this but they're doing this and they feel like they have to do this because if they do not do this if Donald Trump loses things could get really bad really fast and Facebook knows that they are at least partially responsible for the results in 2016. If Trump loses, he knows the next spot for him is prison because he will lose all of the protections that he has enjoyed as president of the United States. I hope, I hope that someday you and I can talk. I hope that someday you and I can reach an understanding. I hope that someday you and I will be able to see eye to eye. And I know that that's a long, long, long way away. But we don't have to wait for the major change that would follow any sort of a revolution. We could do this right now. My name is Melvin. <laughs> I'm a working class uh, bozo, <laughs> a family man, a business owner, and I would like to start that conversation with you, shall we? Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here on The Fire We Can't Put Out. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash tfycpo. You can email us at tfycpo at gmail.com. We work hard to not only inform, but to also entertain with you, our listeners. Shout out to Kevin, my producer, and a big shout out to you for listening. We are the fire you can't put out, and we will prevail, rejecting austerity in favor of prosperity. This is Melvin, signing off. And now that I have woke you up, good morning.